Welcome to Invited In, a podcast connecting the global family of Samaritan's Purse. I'm Christy Graham, and today we have a special episode. I believe everyone has a story worth telling, and today we're going to turn the tables a little bit, and I have, instead of interviewing a staff member, I'm talking to a spouse. Uh, But she's also been a staff member, so she has a lot to bring to the table. I think it is so important to hear both perspectives. So today I'm excited to introduce you to Mary Daly. She has spent time on the mission field and now lives in Boone with her family. Thank you so much, Mary, for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I love podcasts, so this is exciting to be on the other end. Well, thank you. And actually, you are one of the first people I met in Boone. Our kids went to preschool together um, when we moved in the winter, and so... The Lord just put you on my heart. And so when we started this, I actually always had you in mind that you would be awesome. And as I got to know your story a little bit more, and I still don't know everything, so I'm excited to hear it. But um, I just think you're a great person to bring and to for the audience to hear, um, both as a working, you worked with Samaritan's Purse, but now you're a spouse. And so to get both perspectives. Um, so to start our conversation, I'd love for you to share with the audience how you got involved with Samaritan's Purse. Um, and how the Lord led you um, to South Sudan. So after I graduated from Appalachian State, I wanted to take some time off just to kind of figure out the real world and decide what it was I wanted to do. I kind of nannied for a bit and I was a caseworker for a while, but um, about a year into that, I started to kind of really try to hone in on what it was that the Lord had for me. And at the same time, I had two college friends who were on the field um, working with Samaritan's Purse. and. One of them was like, oh, Mary, I could really see you loving this job. Um, it's it's kind of like mission work, but you get paid to do it. And it's um, really kind of rugged and adventurous, but also, you know, direct ministry work. And that really appealed to me. I just didn't, you know, I hadn't really thought of anything like that. And I actually never really considered the mission field. Both of my sisters had spent time over, overseas. And I did go overseas in college um, with my campus ministry group, but... It just wasn't on my radar until then. And also at the same time, um, Sudan was like a hot spot. It was in the news a lot. Darfur was kind of, there was a lot of unrest there. And for whatever reason, I just started kind of reading about it and felt really compelled to be there. And so I just kind of knew that that was the Lord's kind of prompting in me because it wasn't something that I had even thought about. And, um, and so... I applied for a position. I knew that Samaritan's Purse was working there. So I applied and I kind of waited and waited. I applied for another job and I waited. And I finally called and said, do you guys actually hire women on the field? And they were like, yeah, some, you know, but they encouraged me and made me just take a seasonal position here. It was kind of getting close to Christmas and there were a lot of seasonal jobs then. And, um, and so I ended up taking a seasonal job and then I ended up actually taking a permanent or a full-time job in um, projects because I thought, oh, well, this will be a nice stepping stone, getting me a little bit closer. Um, and so this is funny because about six months into that, I was working with the regional director for Asia. And um, he was a great guy to work for. I learned tons about the field through him. And um, one day he had a guy that was coming to meet with him and he was sitting in my cubicle waiting because I had a chair there. And we just started making small talk. And he said, so how did you how did you end up here? What's your story? And I said, well, I really want to be on the field. That's like my end goal. And I'm just sort of buying time. And I was like, I ultimately want to be in South Sudan or in Sudan. And um, he looked at me like, are you kidding? 
And I was like, yeah, no, I really want to be there. He's like, you still want to be there? And I was like, yeah. And he said, well, give me a week. I'll give you a job description. Mm-hmm. And it turns out he was the country director for Sudan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. I had no idea, you know? So that was just one of those stories where you're like, God, he had placed that in my heart. Mm-hmm. And I just had to wait and be patient. And, mm-hmm. and it just fell on my lap, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was about three weeks later, I was in Sudan. That's why I love hearing how people came to Samaritan's Purse. And because ultimately, I think the Lord does put things on our hearts and we just have to be obedient and do the next right thing and allow His timing to get us there. So so that was kind of how I wanted to know. I didn't know how you got there. Um, and so can you tell us about your time there? You know, you here you are in a foreign country, um, arriving, you know, by yourself, not knowing a lot of the details. Were you fearful? How did the Lord meet you there um, in international service? Yeah, so a lot of people, when they found out that I was headed to Sudan all by myself, mm-hmm. um, they were afraid for me, you know? And they were like, are you sure? This, is this the right thing? Um, surprisingly, my mom was very much behind it. She was never concerned. But a week before I went, um, the girl that I was gonna be working with email me to say that she had cleaned out my hut for me, like preparing it for me and found a green mamba in the corner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like, that was the first moment where I was like, oh, like maybe I should be afraid. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, I could kind of feel a little cre- fear creeping in in that way. Um, it wasn't it wasn't really the unrest or like fighting, things like that were going on, but it was more like what kind of animals and bugs am I gonna encounter? And so, the first night I flew in, so you fly into Kenya, then you fly into the border town, and then you stay at like this safari type camp in canvas tents, and then the next morning you fly in on the bush plains. And so that night I was um, I was in my little tent by myself, and I went to take a shower, and these showers are kind of like connected. It's like indoor-outdoor kind of thing. And I went to step in the shower, and there was this massive bug <laughs> on the ground. He was like as it, whatever. It was as big as my hand. Mm-hmm. And I was terrified Mm -hmm. and I jumped on my bed and just sat there like kind of freaking out. And then I like, all of a sudden I was like, okay, God, we need to have a serious conversation right now. I was terrified. I was like, why did you bring me out here? I'm alone. I don't like this. I'm not, I don't want to be strong and like brave anymore here. Um, And I just cried out to him like, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't really want to do this. Mm-hmm. I, I, I changed my mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I could sense his presence there with me. And it was like kind of just like washed over me at, in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like he was saying, Mary, you're not alone. I'm here with you. I'm going to be here every step of the way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you, you know, you've got this. You have to trust me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I sat there longer. You know, I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't really want to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I came around and I, I was like, okay, I'll trust you. I'm gonna trust you. I, I'm, I can do this. So I grabbed a shoe, I squashed the bug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was kind of like one of those moments of like, you know, just like a physical thing saying like, I'm, I'm, that's my fear and I'm facing it. Mm-hmm. And I can, you know, I can rise above because I have the Lord by my side. And so literally to this day, I've never seen a bug like that before mm-hmm. <laughs> or since mm-hmm. then. And I even wonder like, was it real? I don't even know if it was real. Mm-hmm. I think it was just like, he had to just sort of bring me to that place where I was like gonna be completely dependent on him mm-hmm. while I was there. Mm-hmm. I love that. One of my favorite people in the Bible is Peter. And I love the story of him coming on the water, you know, with Jesus. And it's the same thing. It's that he wanted to be with him and asked him to call him and Jesus did. And, but the minute he got out there, the waves, the wind, everything mm-hmm. just overwhelmed him. And I love the way that when he went under, you know, the Lord saved him first, you know, and then he disciplined him and said, you know, why are you afraid? 
And I think that still small voice that we hear when we're obedient. And that's why I wanted to ask, you know, of the fears in the beginning, because I think when we do step out in faith, right. you know, the reality comes and we, we can be fr- afraid, but the Lord uses that time and that still small voice. So that kind of dictated the rest of your trip there and gave you that confidence that He called you, He's going to equip you. So I love that. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about more about your time? How long were you in, in the Sudan and kind of what a daily what a day look like? What was your job there? And, and what did you do while serving? Yeah, so initially um, I was sent to do, um, I was sent to be like an education uh, manager. We had a, like programs where we had schools and stuff in the Nuba Mountains. And unfortunately the time when I arrived, it was right kind of around summer. So things were kind of dying down and they realized that I was probably a better fit for um, Louis Hospital, which was down in the South. Um, they had a quite a large team there in so I was basically the base manager, but something that happens in the field is you end up with like a, a job description, but it, you know, it, it will change mm-hmm. by each day. Um, so I learned to wake up every morning and just be like, okay, whatever, you know, I have my plan, but I'm sure something else is going to happen mm-hmm. instead. Yeah. I ended up having to do <clears throat> the finances and, um, a lot of the human resources at the hospital and, so um, and a, a few months after I arrived, we actually had a situation where we had to evacuate. There was a shooting incident and we felt, you know, Samaritan's person at the headquarters felt like we were just not safe, but that um, we wanted to kind of let them know that we were serious. So we, we evacuated. And then two weeks later, they said, okay, we're heading back in. And turns out, I think at least like three-fourths of the teams decided not to come back. But I chose to come back for whatever reason. <laughs> so I ended up absorbing quite a few of the jobs at that point. Um, so it, it was just, they were very full days. But one of the things I loved the most was that I got to spend time with the the ladies who we had hired um, on our compound. They were like our cleaners and cooks and things. And um, they would bring their kids and we would get to spend time with them on the weekends. And yeah, just really kind of, that was kind of at the forefront of my mind being out there. I, I knew that I was there to do a job, but I also really wanted to invest in the people and really kind of immerse myself as much as I could. And so, yeah. And a lot of times too, um, because we ran a hospital, I wasn't a medical person, but I felt like it was a really unique opportunity because I could go down and kind of be a part of what was happening. I loved being in the maternity ward. Um, I actually got to you know be a part of some of the births and seeing the C-section and that really kind of birthed something in me too um, that I kind of thought, oh, maybe one day like that could be something I would do. So before coming to South Sudan, had you traveled overseas before? Um, I'd love to know too um, what it was like living internationally, what the challenges were. You said you enjoyed meeting the people there, getting to know the culture, but what was it like and what were the friends like that you met there? Yeah, so really the only experience I had prior to um, going to South Sudan was, I went to Romania with a with my college ministry, um, which was a really eye-opening experience for me. And um, actually, come to think of it, as I'm talking, we, we handed out shoeboxes then. Mm. So we had a connection with the, the lady who kind of was kind of like the Mother Teresa of Romania. And she was the one that kind of organized all of the shoebox distributions. So that's that was kind of a unique experience. I wasn't even involved with Samaritan's Purse at that mm-hmm. time. So, but yeah, when I got to Sudan, I think... One of the first shockers, I think, because I ended up spending quite a little, quite a bit of time in the beginning, just myself, um, some of the Sudanese staff, and some of, well, at the time that there wasn't Kenyan staff there, but there were times where I felt pretty alone, mm-hmm. and I kind of didn't expect that. I've never been someone who 
like a lonely type person. I love my alone time. <laughs> I love, mm-hmm. like I, I can entertain myself, no problem. But I, I realized that it was like, you know, with the, the cultural barriers of not like kind of being able to speak as much with each other, but also kind of even understanding each other's humor. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever I had some of the, you know, people from the States or Canada or wherever, we had that same background mm-hmm. and it just felt comfortable. So it would just set the tone for a much more easy time. So I was really grateful that when I did move down to the, the Louis Hospital compound, that, that just made such a big difference for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing was I hadn't really taken into account just like how hot it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, that's just like Africa in general, but my, <laughs> I, I have a history of migraines. And so I ended up having a lot of migraines on the mm-hmm. field and would just have to power through um, that. I had, I got sick a fair amount with just weird African things and didn't always have anyone there to help me. Um, I would have to kind of just make it work and figure it out. One time I ended up having to crawl to the main house just to get a glass of water. Like it was, I was pretty depleted and nobody knew that I was sick. Like no one knew to check on me. And (laughs) so there's just those sort of situations that you just wouldn't have otherwise. And tell me, um, now did you meet your husband, John, there? Or where did you meet him? Because I know you met on the field. I'd love to hear how you met. Um, and then, but it wasn't that you reconnected until you moved back to Boone. So can you tell us a little bit about your story and how that happened? Yeah, sure. So let's see. So I had, after my first year, I decided to take a little time off. The field can kind of wreck you in a little bit of a way. You know, it's a lot of hard, hard work. Um so I, I know for, I can speak for myself and a few others that have come back. Like you want to take a break and you want to have real food for a while, mm-hmm. and then you, but then you want to get back. You're hungry mm-hmm. for more, and so that's how I was. I knew I would go, I would want to go back. And just a few months after returning, um, I was actually in Asheville at the time. I um, I had an email saying that Louis Hospital was going to shut down, mm-hmm. and they would love my help to to kind of close it up just because I was familiar with everything, and so. Um, and I, it was my understanding that I was just going to be me and one of the missionary ladies that had been out there and then um, quite a, some of the Kenyan um, medical staff. And so the the doors open to the compound, and I see this. They call him Kawajas. I saw a white guy out there. His name was John. And um, I, I was pleasantly surprised just because, I, like I said, you know, it just really helped to make that time easier and more fun. And we were able to relate with each other. So we, you know, you just end up spending a lot of time together. We all lived on the compound. You eat all your meals together. You, we end up, we played badminton every night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it was just, um, we just, you just spend a lot of time together, but there was no romance at that point. It was just pure friendship. And then we parted ways after, you know, he finished his time and I finished mine. I actually went to Nashville at that point. Um, I, I ended up working with refugees in Nashville and, um, I did a program where you like learn to teach English as a second language. So we were kind of, we just had gone our separate ways and there was, there really wasn't like, we weren't connecting at that point. Um, but then the influx, while I was doing this refugee resettlement, that influx kind of was starting to die off and they weren't, our jobs were not like secure. It was only based on that influx. And so I thought, let me go back to Boone because I bet I can get a job back at headquarters. And while I was there, I remembered that John was there working at the headquarters, and we hadn't seen each other since Louis. Mm-hmm. And so we went for lunch, and it was kind of one of those, like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> we hadn't seen each other. He, he tells people um, that I cleaned up well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, we kind of, that sort of just developed our, mm-hmm. uh, we started hanging out a little bit more. Um, and 
it, it moved pretty quickly. I think just because we had mm-hmm. that bond mm-hmm. over in a place like Sudan where, you know, just so much time spent together, mm-hmm. we kind of really already knew each other mm-hmm. at that point. And so um, it, it moved pretty quickly after that. Mm-hmm. So you might have still met in Boone, but I love that you met overseas, mm-hmm. you know, I think, because you're right. You can probably get to know each other a little better and deeper and less surface things and yeah. noise as the real world brings. Um, so tell me about your transition coming back to Boone. I know you loved Africa. You loved, and we're going to talk about it later. You wrote a children's book about your neighbor. Um, and so you loved the people. You loved being there. You, your heart wanted to go back. Tell us about coming back to Boone in the United States and just the challenges that brings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so like I said, so after that second time in Sudan, I ended up going straight to Nashville. And I think that I didn't realize it at the time, but the job that I ended up getting with the refugees kind of was a really cool transition back because I was basically working with, it was like I was working in the field, but I was mm-hmm. still in the States. Mm-hmm. So I got to spend tons of one-on-one time. We were working with Burmese refugees, but um, just got, I got to spend that time with them. And actually during that time, I was doing the teaching English as a second language and I got to um, do my practical part, like where you, you know, student teach with the Sudanese refugees there. Wow. So that was like a really special mm-hmm. gift um, for me. I just didn't anticipate that happening. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it was definitely, every time coming back was always hard. You just, you know, just going into the store. I remember being in a dressing room once and just kind of crying my eyes out because I'm like, I don't, it just felt overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I felt, you know, you're just always overwhelmed by the excess of mm-hmm. you know, things in America or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just always really craved the simple thing. And I think mm-hmm. that's why, yeah, I was drawn to going overseas in the first place. I just thought, like, life, let's, I just want it to be simpler. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, And I know you mentioned to me you you wanted to go back overseas, and you said that your heart wanted to go back, and even, you know, you and John, when you got married, you know, you, you tried a couple times to serve overseas, and the Lord just kept cl- shutting the doors. Um, so how did you finally learn to surrender, you know, to God's path for you um, and His will and, and kind of let that go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we really did. After we got married, we we kind of just assumed that that was what God had for us because that was the beginning of you know our friendship and relationship. So, I once we got married, I ended up taking a few and people laugh because I've kind of worked in every department except mm-hmm. for OCC. I took um, like a maternity cover because we kind of were trying to stage ourselves so that I wasn't kind of nailed down to a job, and that way we could, if something opened, we were ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I finished that maternity leave, and I had to take another maternity leave. Mm -hmm. Um, But in that time, we probably had about three or four opportunities that we jumped on. And uh, at one of the opportunities, we were packing our home. Like, we had signed MOUs. We were ready. We are actually going to move to Kosovo. It was kind Mm -hmm. of random. But it was an opportunity that we felt was right for us. Um, and then that just closed. Like, all each and every one of these situations, for various reasons, closed. And we... We were we were sad, um, mm-hmm. but we definitely like started to realize okay, there's a pattern here, and mm-hmm. you know maybe maybe the Lord does just want us to stay here, and so mm-hmm. why don't we just settle in? It wasn't like I didn't like Boone. Mm-hmm. I, I had mm-hmm. come to school here, and I was one of the few people in my college group that loved loved being here and wanted to stay here. So I was it was fine with that. I just wanted to like kind of okay. I just had to shift my focus. Like this is where we are, and so we kind of surrendered that and. Um, Thankfully, I was able to get a position, a full-time position. I was the disaster response advisor at that point. And so that kept me extremely busy, and I, you know, I was able to kind of pour into that. It was like maybe less than a week, I think, after taking that job was when the Haiti earthquake hit. So 
I was immediately down there doing work. So I got to kind of have the best of both worlds in some ways, um, being able to kind of do a little bit, you know, pieces of field work here and there, um, but also having that full-time job. So I was reading for Samuel 15, and I just want to share real quick because I feel like your story, you've done so much within the ministry, so worked in so many different departments. You've allowed God to use your gifts and your talents, but above all, you've been obedient. Um, and I want to talk about this next season for you when you decided to leave the ministry after having kids, but I think it's so important that we are obedient, you know, above sacrifice, because sometimes I think we get lost in serving the Lord, uh, but we're not really being obedient. And so today I was reading for Samuel uh, chapter 15, and I just love 19 through 23, where um, Samuel confronts Saul. And he says, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took the plunder, sheep and oxen, and the best of the things which would utterly be destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is than the fat of the rams. And I've just always loved that passage. You know, obedience is better than sacrifice and heeding to the Lord, mm -hmm. you know, and listening to what He wants. And I love the way your family just finally surrendered. You know, we're not going overseas. You have something for us here. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us need to be heeding the Lord's voice. So I love I love your, your story and just how you both were obedient and heeding to where God led you mm -hmm. and just eventually became... Oh, okay with staying in Boone, you know, and raising your family here. And you, you got out of the ministry working full-time when you had children. So tell us what your day-to-day -day looks like now and where God has you serving as a spouse, you know, because your husband serves within Samaritan's Purse and your father-in-law. Um, so you're now a spouse and family member of SP and not a full-time worker. So tell us what it looks like on a day-to-day. Yeah, so yeah, that was definitely a transition that we had anticipated when we got married. We kind of both agreed that when we had kids, we wanted to be, um, for me to be at home. And we also, that was actually when John transitioned to having a more domestic position. Mm -hmm. So he used to travel about a third of every month um, for the first three years of our marriage. And so, yeah, we were kind of, it was kind of an intentional time. So we're going to, I'm going to be home and we're going to raise our children. And um, I just really wanted to spend that time pouring into them. Um, but I also realized pretty quickly after having my son that I also needed something separate um, mm -hmm. for myself. I felt that I still feel like that's huge for stay-at-home moms that mm -hmm. um, having kind of a, a thing that brings them life and then they can come back and be a better mom mm -hmm. because of it. Mm -hmm. um, so something that started in me pretty quickly after I had him was, you know, I was trying to get back in shape um, like a lot of moms do. And I was doing kind of exercise at home, but I thought, why don't I just do this for other moms um, so they, we can come together and be together, work out together, and our kids can play together. Um, so I kind of just, that started kind of a journey for me of like teaching fitness classes and um, kind of figuring that out. And over the years, well, actually last year, I ended up having two surgeries. And so I was kind of sidelined from that, which was pretty sad, <laughs> pretty devastating, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I found a way to kind of still make it work. So I, I became a fitness and nutrition coach. And that's something I can do without being super physical. Um, and I do it very part-time. But throughout all of this, like the things that I've done, I've, I've basically, you know, done it, children at preschool or, you know, just trying to find that mm -hmm. balance to where I can still be present with them, mm -hmm. um, but also have my thing on the side. And so 
that's kind of what I've been doing lately. I'm actually also um, starting, so from that time when I was at Louis, you know, and, and spending time at the hospital, kind of put that kind of bug in me of like, oh, this, mm-hmm. you know, this could be a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, actually an opportunity for me to get back overseas eventually. Um, so I started um, finishing up kind of something I had started a while back of doing pre-nursing classes. Mm-hmm. So that's something I'm doing this fall. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see where that takes me. I love that, how the Lord, you had something in your heart, you know, but you just knew it wasn't the time. And so now you're you're going back and pursuing that. And that leads me into, I want to cover a little bit. You just released a children's book uh, called One Day, One Village, um, A Tale from South Sudan. And this was something the Lord put on your heart as you lived there, right? You fell in love with your neighbor and you just, I mean, were burdened because he might not be able to go to school, you know, because they have to pay for school. And so you just had this burden. But again, you didn't, Sit on, you know, you sat on it until the Lord led this back. So tell me about surrendering that to the Lord and His timing, because I know you had it on your heart a long time ago, but now is the time. So tell us about your book. Yeah. So, like, yeah, like you said, I had a little neighbor. He lived on the other side of our fence of our compound. He was actually the the grandson of our guard. We had a guard that watched over our gate and didn't let anybody come in that wasn't supposed to be there. So, so his grandson would come on our compound some just to say hey, and he knew quite a bit of English for for you know the kids around that area. So I was able to communicate with him a little bit more than the others, and he just was super cute and adorable. But yeah, like Mm -hmm. you said, he always kind of um, would be like, oh, Mary, you know, I really want to go to school. And that was what a lot, you know, a lot of these children would let me know that that just was like their ultimate dream. And I think when they saw us, you know, like the Americans, the Westerners being there, they thought, oh, this could be like, if they, you know, feel like impacted by me, they might invest in me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I I was laying in my bed one night, just like thinking about it. And actually his... um, their little compound was on the other side of the hut or my hut. So I could hear their little nighttime conversations and mm-hmm. um, sitting by the fire. And so I was just laying there thinking about them, listening to them. And that idea just popped in my head. Like, what if I wrote a book just about Abubba's life, like a little window into his his day? Because I knew that, you know, his life, like nothing like the Western kid, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I could use that, the the proceeds from that book and help kind of like support Sudanese education fund of some sort, mm-hmm. and I, so I like I wrote that book not not long after that, mm. um, and then you know of course I end up back in the states and I I reached out to a couple of artist friends and they tried to do some mock ups and things for me but it just didn't work out like I, for various reasons one of them I think just didn't feel like she had the time the other one just wasn't quite able to do the look I was going for and. Um, and I sent a couple of drafts to publishers, mm-hmm. like kind of trying to figure it out. I didn't, I didn't really know what the process looked mm-hmm. like, um, and I got some no's. And so at the time, I, you know, and I'm one of these people. I have like a million ideas all mm-hmm. the time. So it's kind of, I feel like, oh, I need to do this and this and this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm constantly working through that, trying to figure out what the priorities are. Mm-hmm. But um, I could just kind of laid that down at the time. So I just felt overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, like. Fuse would go by, and it would somehow come up in conversation. Oh, I wrote a book, and I haven't done anything, and I would feel like, oh man, you know, mm-hmm. this thing needs to happen. Um, but I would be too busy or whatever. So last year, so last October, it came back to me, and I know it was like it had to be the Holy Spirit, just like mm-hmm. really pressing it on my heart, like this is the time. Mm-hmm. And so, and it was a really simple process. I just, I was like, okay, I'm gonna, 
I'm going to finish this book. And I learned about self-publishing a little bit. And I thought, well, this is, this is how it's going to happen. Like, I'm just going to, we're just going to do this. Um, so I found a guy um, through Facebook. He was actually from the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And um, he was super affordable. And I loved his stuff. And so I told my husband, I was like, I, I think it's like, I really just think this, it's a tiny investment. And it's just going to make me feel like this is a finally complete, you know, mm-hmm. and I think now's the time. So it took a lot of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was surprised because I'd already written the book. I thought, okay, well, he'll just illustrate it. We'll be done. Um, but yeah, there was months of like kind of editing and back and forth. And I had actually another SP spouse, um, Kristen Espinosa, helped me with the editing mm-hmm. and she's amazing. And so she helped make that process really smooth. But yeah, I finally was able to release it and, um, and, Another actually, so when I was in Sudan, when I was in Nuba for that short time, I worked alongside Ryan Boyette for a, a short short period, and he he's been in Sudan for many 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 years and has now brought his family to the states, and they recently started an organization for um, basically for education for students who or Sudanese students who have been impacted by conflict, mm-hmm. and so I thought what what a better way because I'm not there I don't have the mm-hmm. like means to like get the money to the people so yeah so a portion of all of the the proceeds will go towards his organization, and that money goes directly to these students that need education. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a great book. Um, my kids, we've enjoyed it, and I think it's just great for kids, yeah, to learn what a day looks like in another country. And so thank you for walking us through that and for p- following those burdens that the Lord put on your heart. Because mm-hmm. um, I think Pat Fleming said weeks ago, and when I talked to him, you know, life experiences um, become our credentials. You know, sometimes... Um, School, you know, school and knowledge are great, but wisdom from the Lord and life experiences a lot of times dictate and shape where God wants to take us. So I just think it's so awesome that you pursued and followed up with something the Lord put on your heart and being faithful. And it's just awesome. But I encourage everyone to get it. You know, it's just really great for the kids to see. And I do, I think that's what we've loved coming to Samaritan's Purse, you know, allowing the kids to see parts of the world they might not have ever gotten to see, you know, because we do. We have people that get sent there, you know, and physically go and then can come back and share it with us. And so um, so as we close and wrap up, I'd love to know, um, is there a certain scripture that has um, marked, you know, obviously we said life experiences have shaped your life and the Lord's used people and His voice throughout your life. But is there a scripture you've clung to um, throughout your life? Yes, definitely. I always come back to John 15. Mm-hmm. So verse five, um, God says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. And then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I, that whenever I read that, I'm just like, oh yeah. Like it's mm-hmm. this amazing reminder. Like, so he's the, he's the vine. So he's the source and we're just his branches. So we come out from that source. Um, but we're the connection to the, to the world, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and he says, remain in me. But if we're like, so a, lot, a lot of times, you know, we get caught up in our stuff, doing our own thing, and we kind of separate ourselves mm-hmm. from that source. Um, but he's like, no, 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 remain in me. Like, and then together we're going to bear much fruit. Mm-hmm. And um, I, yeah, I just like, you know, I think a lot of Christians often kind of, you know, they're doing this, like you were saying, work for the Lord or mm-hmm. doing service or outreach or whatever you're you're doing. But a lot of times we just slowly find ourselves disconnected. And when I get myself back, like, okay, I'm in the word, I'm praying, like I'm I'm connecting myself to the source. Like it always just flows naturally. I don't have to strive to make mm-hmm. things happen. You know, and as a mom, I'm often like, oh gosh, you know, what else, what else can I do? How else can I be involved? Whatever. But ultimately he's always calling me back to himself mm-hmm. and 
And that's where everything flows from. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I love that. I do love that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't say go do this, go do that. It just says remain, remain. abide, yes. you know, listen to me. So thank you so much, Mary, uh, for joining me today and for sharing your story because I think you bring so much. You know, you bring the work experience and then the spouse side. And again, just being obedient to the Lord um, is contagious from you. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you, audience, for tuning in. And um, please subscribe so that you can be notified of new episodes. Thank you so much for sharing that scripture. I love it. You know, that abide, remain, you know, remain in me um, allows us to follow where he wants us to go because we are his hands and feet. So Mary, as we close, um, can you just, I know I ordered my book One Day, One Day, One Village um, off Amazon, but where can listeners um, get your book? And can you tell us just a little bit more about it? Yeah. Yeah. So really Amazon is the, is the spot. That's, um, that was the, basically the publisher for it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So if you just get on Amazon and type in one day, one village, Mm -hmm. um, you may even have to type a tale from South Sudan, Mm -hmm. um, but it should, it should come up and that's Mm -hmm. the best way to get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And feel free to order it for your families and whoever else. That's awesome. I definitely am. I love it. Um, That will be everybody's Christmas gift. All my nieces and nephews. I just think it's awesome to bring South Sudan, you know, and that's what we love with this podcast. We get to bring, um, as we talk to ministry partners all over the world, you know, we get to bring that piece of the world um, to the audience. And so this book is just another avenue. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, And thank you so much again for joining me today Um, and just sharing your story and your heart and your obedience. Um, It's just been really encouraging. Thank you so much for listening today. I thought it was wonderful to bring Mary in, who has great experience both on the field, but also as a spouse. What a wealth of wisdom and experience she has. Please check out her book, One Day, One Village, A Tale from South Sudan. You can order it on Amazon. And I think it makes a fabulous Christmas gift for any kids in your life, um, or really anyone. It's just a really great story, a great way for kids to learn about a culture and um, how kids live um, across the world. So check it out, order them for Christmas coming up. And uh, thanks again for tuning in. Please subscribe and leave a review if you're liking what you're hearing. Um, We would love to hear from you. Thanks again. We'll catch up with you next time.